0: This is One Hate Minute.
1: Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. You look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven either. Robbery, homicides, take me. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys
0: like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And joining me for the 154th minute of Michael Mann's (laughs) 1995 crime opus uh, is a really talented and really scarily prolific... Film voice. I discovered her on Twitter. Uh, I've since learned that she's a multi-time national award-winning scribe, screenwriter, self-professed movie encyclopedia, um, and and a tennis fan, which if on Twitter is to be true, a tennis fan. So, I mean, there may even be a tennis digression in this episode of One Heat Minute. There already has been one, a random discussion around slow motion cameras being used to show how beautiful Roger Federer does a backhand. Um, but but now we have um, the, the incredible Jen Johans. Jen, welcome to One heat Minute.
1: Wow. Well, I can't live up to that, but I would love to <laughs> Roger Federer any day of the week so you know if you follow this up with a whole Roger Federer hour count me in as well
0: no I'm sorry there's no more there will be no tennis podcast we can unequivocally say that <laughs> there will be no tennis version of this show um, look uh, before we dive in and talk to Jen uh, more just about everything and her relationship with film and with heat um, let's, let's jump into the minute um, so we just, uh, if you were listening, the 153rd episode covered a pretty significant minute in the film as far as character building for Vincent Hanna. And Jen. Uh, Jen's minute right now really dives into, you know, it has this coda with the wonderful Diane Venora before we get into another, like, really extreme moment of the film. So um, uh, I thought we'd just dive straight in, we'd listen to it, we'd talk a little bit about the minute, and then we can talk to Jen about um her, her writing of film and her writing just in general and about this minute. So and and her relationship with Michael Mann's nineteen ninety five Crime Opus Heat. So if this is your first episode, welcome. Um and uh, and we'll we'll dive into this minute right now. Jen and I are going to watch together. You guys are going to listen along and then we're going to come back and talk about it.
1: Evacuate
0: all the floors. I can't leave here. Why don't we just talk about this a bit, huh, brother? There it is, Jen. Okay. All
1: right. That is one intense minute there.
0: it, it is. It starts with a poor, deflated Diane Venora, just sort of devastated and a- acting tough for tough sake and then just sort of accepting that Vincent Hanna is just out the door, enjoying skipping down those steps. And then a an extremely intent Robert De Niro as Neil Macaulay, wandering down that hallway, discovering Wayne Grow, hiding in that room as Jameson, and just by the luxury of the chaos he's created. They don't spot him. And yeah, I mean, that kick to that door and (laughs) is, is, it is a pretty intense, a pretty intense thing. So you're a a writer, a screenwriter. You have a relationship to this movie somewhat. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, you seeing this film and your impressions of this film and is it something that sort of sticks with you because i know that you are if you go to filmintuition.com you're incredibly prolific on reviews and particularly a focus on female directors and female creatives but in this big gargantuan beast of a thing what's your relationship to it
1: i actually saw this opening weekend back in 95 wow yes Awesome. I used to hang out with my older brother and all of his friends. I was like the only girl in the group, <laughs> and we would go to the movies like every weekend. So I saw this thing opening weekend, and it was back in Minnesota, so it was freezing. So then the joke for the entire winter was, you know, make like Al Pacino and turn up the heat, and um, <laughs> really lame jokes like that. But um, and I am the only girl you're probably going to ever encounter. Who had a crush on Robert De Niro, like in the '90s? So I had a poster of Goodfellas in my room. Like oh my most goodness. girls, have, I know, like you know, New Kids on the Block, Luke no, Perry. It forget awful. it,
0: forget it. It's yeah. Robert De Niro or nothing for Jen.
1: <laughs> Allie and on my mom's side, so we watched the Godfather series like every year. So, I was very excited to get like a predominantly Robert De Niro minute. Of course, I mean, I'd be thrilled to talk about Al Pacino as well. But yeah, no, this was perfect.
0: I was just going and to say then, to you, I just want to let you know my friend, my dear friend Maria Lewis, who's done this podcast, uh, she's an author as well and and a, a screenwriter. Funnily enough, if you, if you guys looked at some of your, your, um, uh, uh your sort of skill set it's like screenwriters, novelists uh, you know, film writers Um, uh, she doesn't love this film at all and I haven't asked you yet whether you like it but she doesn't love this film but she said she did text me at the time, she was watching it for the first time, and she said, I am not. I wasn't prepared for how attracted I am to Robert De Niro in this movie. I wasn't prepared for it. So I think, you know, you're totally, uh, you're not the first girl that I've heard that, but uh, you're definitely the first girl that I've ever heard was crushing on him hard uh, at a time when Luke Perry existed. So um, um, it's awesome. It's very awesome.
1: <laughs> definitely. No, I actually, I love the film. Uh, it was really uh, intense in 95 because Casino came out. Yes. I want to say, didn't Same it come here. out like a. Yeah, exactly. And I saw that one opening weekend as well. Um, and so it was two totally different De Niro's. But what was interesting is I was thinking about both films. He has this controlled presence throughout. Yes. Um, you know, Tashi is the one who has the elevated emotions in Casino, and here it's Al Pacino yes. screaming. Which, until I found out he was playing like as if he was high a little bit, it was kind of like you know chew the scenery. Why don't you a little bit? <laughs> like, um, some of those things kind of drove me nuts. I mean, there's so much fun to imitate and quote, and you know all of the above. But until I learned that piece of it, and then it really made sense. But um, I was more like, you know, it was an interesting balance between the two men. And yeah, I was definitely drawn to the De Niro character. It's always interesting with man because he he's an existentialist. He loves these where, you know, the copper robber, they're always willing to risk or forsake any kind of chance at happily ever after even the prospect of it, to just right some wrong in their life or tip the scales of justice the way they see fit. You see it in Thief, you see it in Manhunter, Coarse Heat. Pacino has that line about all I am is who I'm going after, but like so much of this movie, it could also apply to Neil. And it does, especially here. Um, they're both in pursuit of suspects, unbeknownst to vincent they have one in common
0: yeah.
1: he's a serial killer um so that's always fascinated me that how much the two men have in common and the other thing i love about his movies is the recurring theme of why would you want to live a simple life yes. there's even like a really rude way of putting it i'm sure you remember in thief uh james Conn tells his love interest like what are you doing that's so terrific and it was
0: kind of like, what? <laughs> it's it's the 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 James Kahn Tuesday world <laughs> coffee shop scene is like an all- timer like it's the all-timer meat cute because it's like there's nothing cute about it he's like what the fuck is like what the fuck is your life so special for you know um, it's it's so like devoid of artifice which is great and uh, and I think yeah. one of the major reasons why that movie you know, continues to play so beautifully. It's because it's like, it's so shocking to get people actually being candid in a conversation that is always so staged, whether it's in cinema or real life, you know, that first meet, it's, it's you're performing, you're performing your best self. But I love about James Kahn, is like no one, James Kahn doesn't have, you know, his best self is him all day. It's It's who he is.
1: I know. And man carries that through. I mean, Collateral might be my favorite one after Heat of yeah. his movies, and there's that entire thing about his. Oh, this is just temporary. Well, how long have you been doing this? Twelve years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it kind of the same thing throughout all of these movies. Can and I can I
0: just say? Let's just pause on that moment. That yeah. if you ever want to see a brilliant reaction shot, like uh-huh. it it is Tom Cruise reacting as a character named Vincent too, Tom Cruise reacting to Jamie Foxx's character saying that. So he's like, oh, it's temporary. It's temporary. And he goes, oh yeah, how long is that? 12 years. Like Tom Cruise's eyes and his eyebrows <laughs> in that scene, like that needs to be a meme. Like, can someone tell me how to design a GIF? Because it just needs to happen of like, if someone tells you a reaction, if someone says something you're not expecting, you need the Tom Cruise face from collateral in that exact moment. It is just perfection. He's like, What? 12 years is not temporary, bro. That's a lifetime.
1: Yes, it is. Definitely. Um, the other thing that always fascinates me about Heat is um, how much of the movie is cyclical and how many scenes from earlier on like pay off. Yes. Like the first time Neil tries to kill Wayne Girl, the Heat comes around the corner and Wayne Girl vanishes. Yes. Now he had his whole crew with him and he still couldn't kill the guy. And what is the tragedy of Neil is now that his crew is, you know, mostly dead, basically. Yes. He still wants to do it. And it's like if he would have thought about it, you know, the heat is gonna be coming around the corner again. The heat is in the that... room
0: around the corner. Literally. Like we're seeing, we're no. cutting two <laughs> and the heat is all over the place. The hotel is crawling with it.
1: I know, it's just heartbreaking to think about it. I always, but I do love the fact that, I mean, it's a tremendous victory for him to be able to kill Wayne Grow. Um, Of course, this like segues a little bit later into the next minute, I do apologize. But I do love that it's in a hotel because that's where Wayne Grow has been, you know, dispatching call girls all over town. So it's kind of like, again, with Michael Mann and the symbolism and things coming back the death of Wayne Grow happens where he's killing people. Yeah. Which he, I always kind of, you know, cold justice, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I think one thing you said there was so so spot on is um cyclical natures, lovely little echoes and nods, huge amount of payoffs. But also it's so nice to see how vulnerable Wayne Grow is in this hotel. You know, because in yeah. that sleazy dive with the dead crow he's like he's like a snake in a den you know he slithers and and you know that that poor unsuspecting prostitute in her you know in a you know pretty wig who's who's used to lying to grotesque men um in (laughs) in hotel rooms um just doesn't know you know and Wayne Gross says that you know that's haunting and devilish line you know uh, you know you don 't know what this is, and so what 's wonderful here is he's in these lapping up his comfort he 's got a robe on there's just also I something so deeply uh, so uh, deeply satisfying uh, the justice you know this right being wronged uh because he 's so comfortable. He's so yeah. happy. He's like, I've done all this stuff. And I guess that's just the masterstroke of, you know, cause we've seen Neil be a bad guy for like a chunk of the movie sure. to this point for about 50 minutes. He's not been a nice person, but we're still, <laughs> we're still so on his side in this moment, particularly because in the grand scheme of the universe, Wayne grow is a guy that Wayne goes, a guy that shouldn't exist. And uh, whether Vincent, Chases him down and catches him in the act in this series that we know is ongoing, um, or Neil gets him here. It kind of where we're, we're satisfied, either way.
1: Yes, definitely. And he's willing to do it. It's um, again, one of those Michael Mann things of the escape is just there. They always want to go out of the city um, to a place with water. I mean, you see that like they have the paradise there in Manhunter, and then he has to leave the water. And anytime they go for any kind of calm and beef, they're at water. So he wants to escape from the city. And it just, it kills you. He's like right by the airport. But nope, one more stop. And right. yeah, I uh, think you uh, have that, that on the tunnel. Didn't you have him on for that whole, when he hears where Wingro is and he decides, nope, one more stop. I and sure did. that yes and um it's perfect for it yeah it's just heartbreaking you can't escape his nature just like vincent i'm you, sorry i stepped over you right there <laughs>
0: no i love it no totally fine and what i was going to say though is you you're right about that like that you you said something at the beginning of the show Jen, that like i think is so so perfect for these characters and i think it's a, a, a massive one is like you said that the characters in man films often forego happily ever after to right a wrong or to like tip the scales of justice. And I think that, I think that that. I think that that's their great tension is that they stare out to this sublime ocean, usually like that. This potential future, this paradise that they often is a fantasy that they've made up for themselves. So they, and it's all, almost like they're telling themselves that there is a fantasy right there to justify the behaviors that they're doing right now. It's like they're pro, they're promising themselves a future where they're going to be easier on themselves and easier on, you know, easier on their discipline, easier on their programming, and and it's the kind of. Um, in a way, it's yeah, it's that that, that kind of self deception. But what's really great as we come to the the rubber hitting the road, literally, your minute is you know wedged between these two massive rubber hit the roads moments. Is like when Vincent get, gets given permission by Justine to leave. You know, you know, uh, Pacino gets permission to leave by Diane Venora's wonderful character. Um, yeah. And and she sort of collapses and has to deal with the emotional weight of now being a single mum, you know, taking care of a, a daughter who's you know experiencing some real you know traumatic emotional thoughts and and obviously has gone through some physical trauma um, in an attempted at suicide, you know, Vincent skipping down those stairs to go back into predator mode to go back into hunter mode, um, you know, that's where he actually for a, a moment and he admits he's like I'm all I am is what I'm going after. And like he, he, in that moment, he actually knows himself to be true. And like Neil right now is making time to keep the programming, but in just minutes time, not even, it's a couple of minutes away. He's going to, he's going to follow his discipline to a T the, the, you know, the heat's going to be around the corner and in 60 seconds flat, he's going to look at his whole life, which is Edie, you know, this promise of this fantasy going to New Zealand. And he's just going to take a massive left turn and just get the hell out of there because he's going to follow his programming
1: yes exactly and it's almost um he follows his programming also i think when he acts on an impulsive idea Mm. like he hasn't thought this out fully no No. he seems to i mean he got up the stairs he made it i know it was the The crazy shot where um, the guy is looking out the window and he should be looking at Wayne Grow. I mean, he made it there and he had like the dumb luck to do it, but that was just kind of dumb luck. And for the entire movie, part of the genius of Neil was knowing when to walk away. Like one of my favorite sequences in the entire thing. Um, when they hear the cop and he ha- you know, when he just walks over to Val Kilmer, like we walk and they do. Yes. And here he can't stop himself. And I think it's maybe because it just happened. He's acting on emotion, which is different for Neil. I mean, you know, he still has that cold precision, which he carries throughout the entire film. But you also hear it in the words that he says to Wayne Grow when he repeats, man loves to repeat lines. And I think also so do the actors. Yeah, uh, De, Niro, De, Niro, De
0: Niro loves a line repeat, loves it. Sure. To,
1: like make sure that, to make like sure the
0: actors listen, to make sure his co-performers are listening to him.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think you, you get that a little bit when he tells Wayne Grow, look at me and he repeats it like three times. And it shows that, you know, there's absolutely no mistaking that this killing is anything but, like, very personal. It's not the clinical, okay, this is our job. This is what we're doing. It's I'm taking him out. And I think it's it's a different shade of Neil than we've seen throughout the entire film a little bit.
0: Yeah, and what's so great is, you know, even though we've seen Neil attempt this, What's so great is that when Wangro looks out that viewfinder and it kind of dawns on him that it might be Neil, like he's not a hundred percent sure, but it kind of dawns on him that it might be Neil. There is a real significant change in like the weather of his face. He's like For sh-
1: the brother. Alone, yeah. Like can we, we just talk, talk
0: about this brother? Like it's, it's like,
1: no. all like the it's time- on. Or-
0: all the talk, all the negotiation, all the slipperiness that he's been, all the evasive actions that he's been able to pull in his life. It's like, you know, you know, you just want to. You, you're hearing a line over and over in your head. It's like, bro, you don't know what this is. The Grim Reaper is visiting <laughs> upon you right now. You know that same line that he says to that poor unwitting prostitute. Like, no, yeah, the Grim Reaper is here, and, yeah. and it's just, it's just that wonderful poetic justice right there um mm-hmm. uh, that's 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 about to happen to him and i just even even in just everything the 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 fear in his face that that starts there and we can you know as neil macaulay does we can break the discipline of this this show and 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 pivot to the minute um uh slightly after is that you know when that happens you know, the look at me thing is I want you to have the certainty that you know that I'm the guy that's killing you. I don't want to – there's no pretense that it's anyone else. It's me.
1: Yeah. And, like, the worst things we've seen Neil do, like, that is probably the coldest, even though the audience is totally on his side. Yes. And what's interesting is, I mean, he doesn't even know how bad Wayne Grow is, really. No. He knows, you know – betrayed his crew and he did all these things but he has no idea what's been going on around town um it's interesting that you know he and Vincent have no idea that they have another intersection in their relationship I mean these men are linked to each to each other so much and they know it a little bit I think they can sense it but they have no idea how deep it goes and I found that fascinating that the linchpin is of course Wayne Grove of all people but it was interesting.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, uh, what's so ballsy about this movie is just that man can leave that secondary entanglement by the wayside and just let yep. it all happen for us as the audience, and that can still go unresolved, and it just gives you that ache that you know Vincent's going to have a, a you know an interesting moment. Where he realizes that when they put this, when this series of murders stops and they start to find some physical evidence, they're like, "Oh, we've got that blood record on file. It's the guy who died. <laughs> it's the guy who Neil Macaulay <laughs> shot." Like, just to to wonder what's going to be going through his head when that little discovery dawns on him is going to be very, very interesting indeed. So it's one of those little, those tantalizing tidbits that happens.
1: I know for sure.
0: I love yes. that. I love when you see through the police's camera that it's just it's undeniably Neil McCauley standing outside of Wayne Grove's room, the very thing they want to see and all the chaos that he's created outside just has the cop looking out the window. And and everything, yeah. all the chaos of LA is there. And you just love it. You're like, oh, of course, of course the cops right then. It's the moment, you know, we've seen the guys not really take it seriously. They were playing cards before. It's totally plausible that they're just checking out the window to see the Yeah uh, to see whether this evacuation is legitimate. And mm. that's it.
1: I know, and it bothers you. Like, wouldn't that send off like you're Wouldn't that send off something? Like, all of a sudden, there's a fire alarm. I mean, at the very time you're supposed to be watching this guy, but it doesn't, and of course, it doesn't. (laughs) Like one of the one of the cops goes,
0: "At least he." he I I think the plausibility thing, because you got to, you know, you got to. It's like this internal bullshit test that we have with a movie. Like, at least there's. If there were still two cops in that room, you'd go. That's impo- That's ridiculous. But because yeah. they do, they do the business to build us up to at least say in the previous in a couple of previous minutes that they're like, one of the cops goes to actually legitimately investigate whether there is a fire. Like, what was the source of the yep. alarm? Where did it go? This can't be right. Mm-hmm, the second cop. Sure. The second cop then lets the team down. <laughs> lets the team down yeah. significantly.
1: So I guess that's the way, like you know, when you're searching for something and you can't find it. Of course, he's looking out the window at the exact <laughs> minute, you know. Yes. It's just like, <laughs> yeah.
0: We we these are little um, that that's like a that's that's almost like a horror movie of course moment. Like of course you're gonna go down those stairs. We don't want you to I go know. down those stairs. Of course <laughs> you're gonna be doing that, and it, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't belabor the point, so it's not not frustrating. But it's like, yeah. the, but he does he does know. He does hear the gunshot.
1: Yeah, um, and, exactly. And he
0: makes his way out. And he's just trying to... And But he does the smart thing as well as a cop. Like, he, he just wants to subdue Neil. He doesn't want to just shoot him. He wants to stop him.
1: Yeah. I know, and I respected that. I actually asked a police officer because when Vincent um, runs after him and mm. he takes two shots at yes. Neil and I'm like, you know... You're not really supposed to shoot people if they're running," he they said. "Because of the bank scene, though, because of the level of um chaos, like so much harm that could happen, he yes. actually does have the right." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, you know, I'm just anything to try to save Neil in my head." I'm like, "Come <laughs> on, <laughs> you
0: know." Wait, wait, but, wait, yeah. wait. We just have to clarify that point. Jen Johans just said on One Hit Minute that she just was so smitten with Robert De Niro that she had to make sure that Vincent Hanna was following proper police procedure in the pursuit uh, uh, to make sure that, you know, it was still okay in her mind. I think, I mean, if that doesn't earn you a spot in the hall of fame of this show, I don't know what is because asking questions on the behalf of fictional characters that you crush on, I think is just outstanding. So thank you, Jen, for that moment on this show, I have to say.
1: I should probably say my uncle growing up worked vice and I babysat cops. So like I'm familiar with the police terrain, but ah. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Like, you know, does he have the right? Because growing up and watching so many movies, I remember watching one with a friend. And I'm like, why don't they just shoot him? And like, they can't shoot a guy when he runs. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, so that always stuck with me. And I'm like, so I had to check it out. But no, nope, Pacino was in the right. Well, even co- though of course dating.
0: <laughs> even though of course you wanted Neil you want you, you don't want him to do what ine- it is so inevitable. But you know, on uh, during this show um w- way back and 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 for folks who are listening, I'll get the exact episode. I believe it's the seventieth episode of the show. Um I had a um I had an Australian a uh, federal police officer come onto the show. Um, I'll just find the exact minute so I can um, so I can point everyone out to it. Yes, it was the 70th minute. And um, an Australian federal police detective um, who works in the organised crime division, um, and he, his name is redacted because he's still an active investigator. And I sort of asked him. You know, he loves the movie, and he's a big fan. And in Australia, a completely different, you know, criminal landscape and and, and practices. I would assume you know vastly different as well as being super similar for certain things but one of the things that he said was even if they you know they um i said what's the one thing for you that you would do differently and he said because if these guys were the guys we suspected for doing the for the armored car but we weren't sure and then we found them doing that um that heist for the platinum where the guy sitting down in the car alerts them to their presence. He goes, I would have pinched them right there. He goes, I don't care. I don't care if they went to, I don't care if they went to jail for six months, they're off the street for six months. And then I can build a case and, you know, make sure that when they get out, I can keep an eye on them because I know that it's not going to be too long before, you know, they get into, more mischief together but you know that was that one thing you know from a really pure procedural factual perspective that i think that it's like you you know by the time that neil mccauley and his crew have done this it's like cops are going to shoot first and ask questions later i think in this whole thing so the, the restraint of the cop who's observing that room is immense to say the least
1: yeah definitely and that's a really good point that he had and somebody does um propose that to vincent if i remember right like you know what do we bust them for and it was gonna be too minimal and so he just you know throw the fish back i guess but yeah yes definitely i do have like you said hall of fame this will probably get me kicked off the hall of fame (laughs) when i was a kid um well, I don't know. I, let's see. It came out in 95. Um, so probably Christmas of 96, my brother gave me the VHS of Heat and I gave him the VHS of Rocky. We wound up having to trade them because I didn't like to watch De Niro get killed. He didn't like to Sly Stallone lose. So we traded him back. It was like, yeah, these are amazing movies, but, you know, the wrong thing. So, yeah, I just couldn't, it's like, no I can't watch him die you know gotta watch him be you know Corleone or gotta watch him do something else good fellas but yeah <laughs> so yes well he
0: read it the was part t- he that's so good he read that he read the part first that's
1: what is I so know. cool
0: he read the he read Neil McCauley and went I want that part
1: can you imagine if they were switched I mean I'm sure people have brought that up uh and they would have done a great job but you know, watching it, you just—it's hard to imagine.
0: I can—I can imagine it, but it's like—it's really hard for me to imagine it. It's really hard for me to imagine it at that point of Pacino's career. True, right after *Son
1: of a Woman*, and
0: yeah, definitely. It's hard for me to imagine it then. But if you said this movie was made in '84, or, or not, oh. sorry, or '85 rather than '95, so ten years earlier. I Mm -hmm. would totally have bought Pacino as a cold-blooded, like not much coming out. Like you only have to look at, you know, big chunks of Carlito's way, Serpico, Michael Corleone, of of course. Um, There's so many movies where he does play really cold, very minimal, and just like let's – And insular. And, and, you know, and and you can totally see Pacino like – uh, Sorry, uh, De Niro, rather, all the way from Mean Streets. He's like a he's like a blaggard and talking nonsense and, you know, big braggadocious, you know, and that's kind of part of his charm and, in some of those movies.
1: Yeah, and actually, like, mid-80s, Midnight Run, so that oh, was during his Of podcast. course.
0: Fun, yeah. fun, fun, fun movie. And Grodin plays the straight man. Like, he's the guy who's like you know, very, you know, very verbose and silly and all that sort of stuff. But well, yeah, that's the, 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 that movie doesn't get enough credit. That is a, br- if you haven't seen, if you're listening to One Heat Minute right now, it's 154 minutes in, you need a break from, you know, watching De Niro
1: die
0: die Yeah. as Jen <laughs> did. And you don't have Rocky on hand. Um, you need to have, <laughs> you need to have a, a search on the iTunes library or your video on demand service and, and seek out Midnight Run. It's just uh, it's so good.
1: Yeah. Alonzo Mosley, FBI. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. I know, and actually, I and,
0: those lines. And actually, and actually De Niro, uh, you know, uh, accurately hot-wiring a car. You know, they took a lot of effort to show that in great detail. And, uh, yeah, just great. A, a movie that, like, should have had 10 sequels. They should have made one of those every couple of years forever. Yeah. Um, Totally great.
1: Did he really hotwire? I would believe he would. I mean, my favorite De Niro story is when Meryl Streep said he tried on 75 tan colored jackets for falling in love to make sure. And sh- he had her there to make sure it was like the right tan jacket. <laughs> and I just was, he's, she's like, it took forever. He would put it on. I don't like look in the mirror. Is this the jacket of the guy? No, take it off. <laughs> Seventy-five of them. Anyway, I always love that story.
0: Oh my god, that is so good. And you can see Meryl like, you know, you know, a lot of a lot of conversation, uh, especially when they talk about like the greatest American actors ever, skews towards dudes. You know, they're like, oh, it's Brando, De Niro, Pacino, uh, but like she's out of sight in the conversation of best ever, and she seems to oh. be so much less. Like, she needs less, uh, like, accoutrement. She doesn't need as much of that physical, tangible stuff. She'll just get there, get in the moment, know the lines, and just crush it um, every single time. Um, Yeah. And she doesn't need a lot of that other faff. It doesn't seem to help improve her performance. She just, you know, she'll get in there and be in anything, be in any dress, be in anything, and she's ready to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And from one movie to the next, you're never sure which Meryl you're going to get, which is always, always a treat.
0: And she seems to have sustained it. That's one thing that these guys, you know, that are are in her similar class, and she's been in movies around these guys for such a long time, is that she seems to still just bring it. She's still bringing it every time. Great performance, every movie, great choices, you know, very Mm -hmm. rare misstep.
1: Yeah, she's actually of the, if you want to say of the three, Pacino, De Niro, and her, she has the most exciting career right now. And oh yeah, by far, by far, rare. Yeah,
0: very cool. It is, it is very like to say that, and also just consistently every, you know, it's kind of silly. You just go back through Oscar nomination years, and you're like, you just look at how many times she's been in a movie and almost like guaranteed with an Oscar nom. But so many of them are just great you're like wow like she didn't win for so many good movies so many really good movies consistently good stack of different yeah. genres stack of different roles you know really aged into performances um as well like you know not being afraid to play you know a crazy mum or you know those sorts of things um and and yeah. going going all going all over the map musicals of recent years as well like you know really crushing it across the board. I didn't think we go on this deeper emerald dive, but I think that it's essential to talk about um, with these guys because hopefully they're about to turn it around in Scorsese's The Irishman um, coming to Netflix a little bit later this year so we can see what these guys are like together and just forget that um,
1: yes. <laughs> we
0: can forget. What was that other movie? I don't even remember the name of it. What was that other terrible movie they did
1: together? Righteous Kill. Righteous Kill. Righteous Kill. Oh, my goodness. That was awful, yeah. You know what I wish, though, speaking of um, Michael Mann, I wish he would have a female lead in one of these. I think it would be fascinating. Jada Pinkett Smith has a great role in um,
0: she does. In, the,
1: in Collateral. Yes. And the Women of Heat, like, I totally forgot it had been so long that Ashley Judd was in it, and she was amazing. amazing. I mean, they're all amazing. Yes. Um, but I do wish that he would have one lead character be a woman. I think it would make it an interesting dynamic to see, like you know, one of these existential heroes uh, well, make it a heroine. I know? mean, look, you, you
0: Miami Vice has Naomi Harris, you know, pre Moonlight Naomi Harris, who is absolutely phenomenal, and Elizabeth Rodriguez as like two of the the, the female leads um, besides Gong Lee um, who plays Isabella. I'm just like, if you're gonna make a, everyone's dreaming of like, let's let's make. Michael Mann movie sequels you know there's a heat prequel slash sequel novel that's coming out but I would love them to see to go back to heat and just have the partners be Elizabeth Rodriguez um, and, um, and Naomi Harris in that crew and then you could have you could still have Farrell and Fox bombing around but like make those two the the leads and um, you know I'm, I'd be all about that
1: yes and have them be the ones tied up with bombs around their necks instead of the women this time. <laughs> yes. that would be cool Yes. No, I mean, this is like a lot of fun, but it was like, okay, one chick is tied up, and then Gong Lee's in trouble. It's like, can we go to a different well here? But I mean, it's a fun movie. My favorite part of that movie is how many times they say "Go fast boats." Like every time they say that. <laughs> but, yeah. for- anyway,
0: I think I think go you- fast. Boat. If if you have a, if you have to drink every time someone says go fast boats, uh, I think you're going to be absolutely if you swig your mojito every time someone says go fast boats, and uh, it's it's going to be absolute delirium. Look, this show, this episode has been a go fast boat, and um, it has been a go fast boat largely because of my guest Jen Johans. Thank you so much for being a part of One Heat Minute. Um, It's been an absolute treat to have you. And uh, your, as I said, Hall of Fame moment is crushing on Robert De Niro in the 90s when um, there are all those other 90s heartthrobs, uh, including uh, Luke Perry, Keanu Reeves, uh, etc. And you were uh, all about Bobby. So um, I love it so much. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. (laughs)
1: Thank you very much for having me. I do appreciate it. This was a lot
0: of fun. You're welcome. Thank you. It has been fun, guys at Film Intuition is where you can find Jen Johans and her website, filmintuition.com. You can uh, jump straight onto Twitter right now. You can find all that. And again, uh, she will update periodically um, new review updates and there's just a stack of great content there. So I want to thank Jen a lot again for being a part of the show. Thank you, Jen.
1: Okay, thank you. You have a good one.
0: You too. Garth Franklin, thank you for our web design. Paul Davies, thank you for our theme. And uh, folks listening, catch you on another episode of one heat minute just around the corner where a man protagonist will forego happily ever after to tip the scales of justice and you know maybe do a righteous kill that's not the terrible movie righteous kill
1: <laughs> very true